we are in our third week. My name is Ben, by the way, if we hadn't had the opportunity to meet, and I'm the uh, lead pastor here. We're in the third week of a series uh, where we're going and essentially looking at Jesus through the lens of the Old Testament. And the reason that that's so important for us is because uh, when I first became a Christian, I was in my teenage years, and I grew up in a family that was kind of around faith and around church, but we weren't, you know, the, the church every Sunday type of folks. And I didn't really have a grasp of the Old Testament. I understood there was a guy named Jesus. I understood, you know, his death, his resurrection. I conceptually grabbed all that. And early on in my walk with with God or my relationship with Jesus, I would uh, read a lot in the New Testament. From time to time, I would read something that they referred back to the Old Testament. And I'd kind of, you know, skip over that part because what in the world does that mean? And what does that have to do with what I'm reading right here? And it wasn't honestly until I got to college and took an Old Testament class that I really began to understand both the narrative and the importance of the Old Testament, especially as it relates to the New. And here's why we think this is so significant. Two reasons. Number one, because when Jesus died... And no one expected him to die. He came back from the dead. And the the New Testament, basically, church, the apostles, were trying to wrestle with this and saying, what do we do with this thought? Because God just died, and here you are again. And so how does this make sense? And so it says Jesus began with Moses and the law and the prophets. In other words, he began with what they would consider the Hebrew Bible or what would be considered the Hebrew Bible to us as the Old Testament. He started and began to explain how the Old Testament would speak to who Jesus is and who he would be. And on top of that, the truth is, just like any relationship, you get to know a person and it's helpful. But when you get to know them on a deeper level is when you begin to know all of their backstory, all of their history. You go and you meet the parents, you meet the family, you understand, okay, that's why you're so stinking weird. I finally get it. But when it comes to the Old Testament... We get the full story as it relates to the New Testament of God, which both helps us us to understand how to understand the New Testament as well as who God, in fact, is. And and, and here's how this kind of makes its way up in, in practical life. Many of us, when we view the Old Testament, view the Old Testament God as different from the New Testament God. We see a God of wrath, a God of judgment, sometimes even a God of hate, a God who's who's almost like war obsessed in the Old Testament. And then you've got, you know, Jesus, it's like, and he's just sitting like petting like little baby, like goats and doves and stuff. And it's like, what happened to this God? And and here's what we're discovering. Since the fall, since sin entered the world, God has been on a plan and on a mission to reconcile us people, sinful people, to himself. And his plan the entire time was a guy named Jesus who was the Messiah the son of the living God. And he would go through extraordinary lengths for one simple reason. So we wouldn't miss it. And so we would understand who God is and what God loves. So we started a couple weeks ago. We started in, in the garden. We talked about how there was, you know, that there was that whole narrative that takes place. Uh, Adam and Eve begin to have a bunch of, you know, kids, and as they have kids, and their kids have kids, and their kids have kids, and stuff kind of spun out of control in terms of evil. Flood hit the earth. Wild story. Uh, you know, there's Noah on the, on the ark, and again, we asked the wrong questions in our skepticism. If you're here, you're a skeptic. Let me just inform you of what you should be skeptical about. Not did the animals go two by two, because how did that happen? And who can get two squirrels to go in the same direction at the same time on the same boat? Oh my gosh, God's not real. God annihilated the earth, okay? So, Again, let's just be informed about our skepticism here. 
So they land on dry land, and as they land on dry land, God says, you know, again, I want you to go, I want you to multiply, and I want you to spread out. They didn't spread out, and so some things happened. And out of the kind of the turmoil that was the early kind of foundations of of humanity, or at least the biblical account of that, what we see is a family that's chosen. Not because of their righteousness, not because of their goodness, not because, oh my gosh, they were just such wonderful folks. And they were the best family. In fact, if, if you read you know, Genesis a lot, you know that the family that God chooses was kind of the worst family. They just did some wildly inappropriate stuff, some terrible stuff, to which you would say, you know, okay, God, why would you pick this family out of all the families? Like, like you pick them? Like, surely there's got to be like the Joneses, right, that everybody's trying to keep up with. Let's pick them to be the family and the image bearers of God. But God says, no, because it was never about this sense of righteousness or goodness, but talks to Abraham or Abram at the time. This is Abram. Though you don't deserve it, though there's nothing that you've done, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to make your descendants outnumber the stars in the sky. I'm going to give you a land to possess, and I'm going to make your name great. And so we pick up the story is after we talked about last week how God created this covenant with Abraham, which was wild. Because a covenant was essentially a contract between two people, one of more power, one of less power, where they would kill animals, they'd split them in half, they'd walk between the two, and they'd say, if either of us breaks this contract, may what happened to these animals be done to me. But Abraham didn't walk through the covenant, only God walked through as to say, this is a unilateral covenant, not dependent on your faithfulness, but mine. And so out of that relationship, God, in Genesis 22, calls Abraham to do something wild that we would probably never even entertain the thought of if it happened to us today. So let's read. If you've got your Bible, Genesis chapter 22, this is what God says to Abraham. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham... And he, being Abraham, said, and we're going to learn this is a classic Abrahamic response, okay? And he said to him, and he said, here I am, to which God would say, obviously. Like, that's why I said Abraham. It's not like, he didn't say, you know, what's up? Or like, you know, if you're a polite person, like, yes, sir. You know, God, my reverence. You know, oh, yeah, I'm here. It's like, anyway. So he said, being God, take your son your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. Now, really, really important backstory on what happens here. God had promised Abraham a son. And Abraham went for years and years and years after God promised, and he had no son. And then God would say again, Abraham, you're going to have a son. And years and years and years would pass, and Abraham would have no son. To the point where God finally came again and said, Abraham, you're going to have a son. Abraham laughed at God and said, God... I'm like 100 years old, and I'm not saying like how my wife is, but I'm just going to say she's old. Like I'm smart enough to not to throw numbers out there perhaps, but God, <clears throat> I'm just saying this, this son that you've promised me, it's, it's almost laughable at this point, but in, in, in an extraordinary and kind of immaculate way, God would give Abraham a son named Isaac. And Abraham, as, as, as different religions would look back, both, or not both, but the Jewish religion, the Islamic faith, as well as the Christian faith would all look back as Abraham, Father Abraham, as the center 
point. As God gave him this descendant, Isaac. He says, okay, Abraham, you know your son Isaac, right? The one that you love. Your only you know, son of the heir of, of, of promise. Here's what I want you to do with your son. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. By the way, parents, I love how he says that because, right, sometimes you don't actually like love your kids. Like you're like, I love them, I just don't always like them. It's like, no, sometimes I just don't love them. You know, they wake up at 3 a.m. I'm just like, dude, I, we're related, you know. <laughs> whom you love. And go to the land of Moriah. Don't judge my parenting. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. He says, so I want you to take, I want you to take him to Moriah. I want you to take him to this land of Moriah. And on one of those mountains, I want you to, in this you know, kind of this geographical, this you know, range of mountains and hills, I want you to, to take your son, and I want you to not only sacrifice him, not only kill him, because what they would think was that oftentimes to God, they would sacrifice something, and this would be to kind of appease God, appease the wrath of God, appease the judgment of God. But then they would light this sacrifice, whatever the sacrifice was, they'd light it on fire. And the reason was, is that as the smoke went up and the smell went up, it would be like God could smell it in the heavens. And it would be to appease and to please God. So Abraham does it. He starts walking. Which, for us, as we read the Bible through the lens of history, what we miss is this was wild. Like we read in the cake, so he got his son, he started walking. Let me just tell you, this is crazy. Like, for us, you think of like the, the most insane idea of how God would call you to obedience. You know, oh, you know, God would call me to go to, you know, a, a third world country and live in poverty. Wow. Like, he called him to burn his son. Like, for me, I'm thinking, okay, God, like, I love you, but I don't know if I would be obedient to the call if you ever called me, like, Ben, I want you to go plant a church in Alaska. I'm like, God, it is really cold there. Like, I do not do cold weather well. You know, Ben, I want you to be loyal to a team, though for decades to come, they're going to be four and eight. You know, I want you to, I'd be like, God, I sackcloth and ashes. What do I need to do to circumvent this wrath and judgment? (laughs) Just cheer for the basketball team and the soccer team. Shout out. Hey, woo. <laughs> but the idea here is crazy. I mean, can you imagine? What would you do? What would you do? What would you do if God said to do this? And for us, we would view this through the lens of a value transaction, right? Like, I, like, like this thing is so valuable to me. But if, we, if any of us were to be honest, if, if, you, if you follow Jesus... Now, if you're kind of on the periphery, then this maybe doesn't apply to you. If you're trying to figure out faith and you're just wrestling with the deal. But if you have given your life to Jesus, what, you, what you're saying is that, God, you are the most important thing in my life. Everything else revolves around you. There's nothing that I'm going to keep from you. You are everything to me. You are more valuable than anything I have. And so, God, yeah, you are worthy of anything that I could sacrifice. But here's the truth. Nothing that we could sacrifice would be worthy of him. And so he looks at Abraham and says, Abraham, I want you to take your son Isaac, and I want you to you know, go to this land of Moriah, and I'm going to show you which hill I want you to kill him on, and, and, and I want you to, to 
kill him, and I want you to burn him as an offering to me. Verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went out to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, so it's not like it's like close, so they're, they're journeying and they're traveling, they're journeying and they're traveling. On the third day of walking, they finally see this place. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. Now, if, if you're familiar with the Bible and you've heard the story a bunch, you, you know that there is parallel after parallel after parallel that parallels this story to the story of the crucifixion of Jesus. That in the same way that there would be you know, a, a place that you would go to, God would come to earth, you know, Abraham would go to this land of Moriah. In the same way that Jesus would, would carry the cross that he would be sacrificed on, Isaac would carry the wood that he would be sacrificed on. And there's parallel after parallel that just shows this intricately woven story of God's love for us. So Isaac gets the wood, starts carrying it. And I love the honesty of the Bible because Isaac isn't dumb. In fact, kind of in the, the understanding of how old Isaac probably was at this time, he was probably in his young teenage years as he was following his dad Abraham around, who was over 100 years old. Verse 6, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on his son Isaac. He took his, in his, hand, his father Abraham. My father? <laughs> I love Abraham's response. Here I am, my son. Daddy, I've been walking with you for three days now. I know that. That's, again, anyway, we'll talk about it, Dad. You're getting old. He said, behold the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? In other words, like, like that. I don't, know, you know, I don't know if you know this or not. And you just said, here I am, and I obviously know that you're right here, so maybe you're not putting two and two together at this point. But, Dad, like, you've got fire, and you've got a knife, and we've got everything we need. We've got the wood. I mean, we're, we're ready to go. But, but we've been walking for a number of days, and we've got no animal to sacrifice. To which Abraham does what any good parent would do. At that point, for what he knew, he lied, right? Because it's not like, actually, I'm going to kill you. I'm so glad that you asked. You're the sacrifice. He's like, oh, God will provide, you know? Ah. Abraham said, God will provide himself the land for a burnt offering, my son. Which Isaac is such a good kid. He's... He says, so they both went together. (laughs) When they came to the place which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now, this is how we know Abraham is a better parent than any of us will ever be. Because I want you to imagine, right? I have a a, a three-and-a-half-year-old daughter and almost a two-year-old son. And I cannot, like, they are almost impossible to get ready. They're almost impossible to get them to brush their teeth at night, you know? Imagine hog tying a 13 year old up when you're 100 years old but somehow Abraham gets Isaac Isaac is obedient to his dad bound Isaac his son laid him on the altar on top of the wood then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his 
So now I want you to imagine, as, as a parent, I want you to imagine, what would be going through your mind at this point? This God who has promised and promised and promised and promised, there's going to be descendants, there's going to be descendants, I'm going to make your name great, there's going to be descendants, and through you I'm going to bless the world. There's going to be descendants, I'm going to make your name great, bless the world, give you this land. And to this point, God has not given you a land, no one knows who you are, and your one son that you have that God is going to use is about to die. And you got the knife out, and you got the dream that God handed you, and what's interesting is, is, is if we were just to like be honest, at this point, probably none of us would be following God right now. If my son was on the altar and God had, a, I mean, I would just, I would, I would, this would wreck me, right? I wouldn't even make sense of this theologically because I'd say, God, you aren't a God who would call someone to do this. And even if I could do this, this wouldn't make sense because ultimately, if I was trying to make you happy, God, there's nothing that I can do to make you happy. There's no sacrifice that I can give that would be worthy of you. So there's not even a reason why I would do this. Though you are, God, if I were to take, you know, a value, yeah, of course, you're more valuable than anything I have, than anybody I know. You are God. God, and you can do what you like. But God, I mean, come on, this is my son. So he gets the knife out. He raises it up as if he's about to kill his son. Because he was. Or so he thought. Verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said... <laughs> Here I am. <clears throat> now. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Extraordinary statement. He says, now, Abraham, I know that I'm worth it. But Abraham, now I know how much you value me. Abraham, now I know how much you care for me. Abraham, now I understand the, the depth and the width and how much you would be willing to go through to demonstrate to me your love for me, your love for God. Because Abraham, you have your one and only son. And you would be willing to give him for me. And Abraham, I know that because you'll be willing to do that, there is such a value, a care, a love, an adoration for, a desire for, a passion for, a fervor for God because of what you will be willing to do for him. He continues. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went, took the ram, and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Now, this, is, this is what's so wonderful and beautiful about the Old Testament and the New. It's that God would look at Abraham and say, Abraham, I want you to give your son for me. And Abraham, since you'd be willing to, even though I am deserving of it, I don't want you to because I would not call you to. In fact, I'm going to give you a different sacrifice. But when it came to God, though on the other end of it, right, we weren't deserving. 
I mean, all of us, no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter what you've done, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all had that day, that week, that weekend. We've all had that semester. We've all had that season of life, that business trip. We've all had that, that you know, decade. And we've all had that time period in our life where we have walked and wandered and gone astray. And it's not this individual sin and condemnation. But we all do understand that God, if he is God and he is, if he is holy and he is pure and he is true, there is no sin and there can be no sin in his presence, which makes us fundamentally incompatible with God. And God knew that. God saw that. And though we had rebelled against him, in fact, here's how Isaiah says it. it says, he says that he sits enthroned above the circles of the earth in his people, us. We're like grasshoppers. We've talked about this before. I would, it would be extraordinarily difficult for me to give my son to die for God. As, imagine me giving my son to die for a grasshopper. Like, I step on grasshoppers. I would kill a grasshopper. I have pest control on my house so I don't have to deal with grasshoppers. I would never give my son. Never. It just makes no sense. It's almost incomprehensible. That's the love of God. That though we have sinned, though we could never offer anything to make ourselves right with him, when it came to his son, because of our sinfulness and his holiness, the gap was too wide. There's nothing that we could do to add to, no amount of good works that we could do to create a right standing with him. God saw that and didn't expect us to. Instead, he did what he didn't call Abraham to do, which is follow through with the knife. And his son was on a cross, a Roman cross, and died for the sins of us. When we didn't deserve it, when we had sinned and we had gone astray, Where God said to Isaac and God said to Abraham, Abraham, stop. I don't want you to do that to your son. When it came to his own son, Jesus, he would not say stop. In fact, the son, Jesus, similar to Isaac, would know what was about to happen, would kind of understand, and he would sit there, and the night before he was going to be crucified, knowing he, would be, he was going to be crucified, he would pray and pray and say, Father, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, and I love it because God is a better God than, a better father than Abraham was because Abraham lied, God just said no. There's not another way. You are going to take square on your shoulders the sin and the shame and the judgment of the entire world. And he did. So Abraham stops. and says, and we called this place, this mount that we were on in kind of this land of Moriah, God will provide. He continues on with the angel. Angel called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this, And I have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heavens and as the sand in the seashore. And your, your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice in the exact same way that because Jesus, as Philippians 2 talks about, became obedient to death, even death on a cross, God would lift him up. And because of that, 
all the world would be able to have access to a right standing with God. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together in Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now, as interesting and pretty captivating as this story is and this narrative is, and the parallels are, are, are kind of just uncanny, there's a parallel in this that's, that's extremely easy to miss because the, the Bible doesn't go out of, it, out of its way to always make the parallels and the connections for us. But this place, Moriah, this land called Moriah, had a bunch of hills, a bunch of mountains on it, and things like that, where Abraham stopped and said, the Lord will provide. A few generations later, the nation that Abraham, whose family would become a nation and they would be, take the name Israel, would be enslaved to Egypt. They would eventually escape Egyptian slavery and bondage. They would be led out by this guy named Moses, who we're going to talk about next week. As they went through this, this land of, of, of kind of the desert with Moses, they would wander and they would wander. They would eventually enter into the promised land that God had promised to Abram. As they entered the land that God had promised to Abram, um, they would have a set of judges, and then they'd eventually have a set of kings. One of the most notable kings was a guy named King David. King David, you can read this in 2 Kings chapter 24, especially verse 24. And they would be this, would eventually find this place, as he was facing some consequences of his sin, there would be this big judgment that was doled out on the land. In 2 Kings 24, as this judgment happens from David's sin, where people are, are dying, God says, you know, David prays, says, God, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And God says, I will stop this. I want you to go purchase this one farmer's land on this one particular hill in the Mount of Moriah, which just happened to be the exact same mount that Isaac and Abraham stood on. And he said, the Lord will provide and he made a sacrifice to God to say, God, if you will please withhold your mercy and your judgment for our sins, God, we would offer and we would sacrifice for you. And so God withheld. In fact, David would raise a bunch of money. He would do this huge building campaign that they would eventually create this temple. David wouldn't be the one that would build the temple, but his son Solomon. And you know where Solomon built this temple? on the same mount that was a threshing floor that David had bought, which was the same place that Abraham sacrificed Isaac. And at the center of this temple, at the middle of the temple worship, sacrifices for generations and generations and generations were made to God because of the sins of people to say, God, we know we are sinners. God, we know we should be judged. God, but we seek mercy through sacrifice. You know what that place would become? That temple that would be destroyed and then kind of be rebuilt? It would be a city. The city's name would be Jerusalem. And in this city, Jerusalem, one day without Abraham ever having known only God saying, I want you to go and I want you to walk and it's going to take you three days to get there and I'm going to show you this mountain it's going to be a Moriah. This city would one day become Jerusalem. And this city would one day be the place where Jesus walked around this city would be the place where Jesus performed lots of miracles. But the city would also be the place where Jesus would go in his last days. And he would stand before Pilate. He would stand before Herod. The crowds would yell, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. 
And in the same foothills of Moriah where Abraham was going to offer his son Isaac and God said stop with the exact same foothills hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later where God would say, though I called Abraham to stop. In these exact same foothills just outside of Jerusalem walls, I'm not going to stop my son for dying. That God would care so much for us not to miss it That God would care so much that he would look at Abraham, that he would set this whole thing up, that he would set it up with David, that he would set it up with Solomon, people would destroy it, they would rebuild it, and one day he would send his son, our Savior, Jesus, to this exact place to take on the sins of the world because there is such an inextricable link between the Old Testament and God's plan to say, though you have sinned, I still love you and wanting to redeem you and wanting to restore you, wanting to bring salvation, reconciliation with God, that though you have sinned, and I am holy. And though if you were to offer your son, it would make sense because I am so much more valuable than anything that you have. And though you have gone astray, and though you like grasshoppers have rebelled against me, I'm going to send my son in that exact same place. Here's what that means. We have a God. Or because we have ever done anything and sacrificed to God that God would say, oh my gosh, you have earned your way to me. But we have a God who so loved us, he gave his son to die for us, who will be willing to link in the minutiae of the story, and even in the minutia of the geography, his son, our Savior, Jesus. And you're loved. You don't deserve it. Didn't earn it. I'm loved. Didn't deserve it. Didn't earn it. In the same place that Abraham demonstrated his obedience to the covenant of God. Jesus, the night before he died, said, my blood is about to be shed and my body is about to be broken. And so whenever you gather together, or so much as often as you do this, so often as you break this bread and so often as you drink this cup, I want you to do it in remembrance of me. And they would have known that what God started Back in Genesis, what God firmly established in Abraham would be changed forever through what Jesus did. As he stood there the night before he died and said, this is my body of the new covenant, this is my blood of the new covenant. So I want you to understand that you were loved. I want you to understand that when God gave his son, he gave his son for each and every one of us. That we can't earn our way into God's good graces, but we just simply accept that he loves us so much. He would, again, inextricably link the details and the minutia so that we wouldn't miss it. I don't know what sin you carried in here. I don't know what problems you carried in here. I don't know what issues you carried in here. But there's grace for it. There's love for it. as we just simply look to God and say, thank you that you would send your son to die for us. In a second, we're going to take communion together as the sign of the covenant that God did not stop the knife when it came to his son, that he gave his one and only son for us. 
And here's my, here's, here's my really, my hope. But as you kind of, over the next two songs, feel this sense of, of God's love for you, you understand it, you accept it, you would come forward, you take a piece of the bread, you kind of walk down the center aisle, take a piece of the bread, tear it off, dip it in the juice, and eat it. And remember that though we didn't deserve it, in the same place, thousands of years before, hundreds of years before, where God said stop to Abraham, he did not say stop to his son. And because of that, we now have a reconciliation with God. We are loved. By sometimes a wild, inexplicable, for sometimes for us, as as songs would call it, it kind of even just seems reckless because it's so illogical. But yet he loves us, nonetheless. I just want you to know you're loved. That's it. As you come and you experience communion, I just want you to feel the love of God that was body and blood, was broken and shed for you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you sent your son to die for us. As we take, as we remember your death and your resurrection, knowing that even if we could, even if you had called us to sacrifice anything and everything for you, nothing would ever be worthy of a sacrifice that would make us right with you because, God, we are sinful to the core. But we know, ultimately through you, Jesus, your death and your resurrection makes us right with you. Help us to experience your inexplicable, overwhelming love for us that in light of our rebellion you would spend generations setting up the love of Jesus on Mount Moriah that would become the temple that would eventually become the place where you our Savior were crucified for us Jesus we're just so thankful as we eat your body we eat this bread which is your body which symbolizes God your love broken for us as we drink may we just be overwhelmed and overflowing with your love for us in Jesus name we pray